Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. We were very, very fortunate enough to have Eli Manning here for all of his 16 seasons in the NFL with the Giants. But without Ernie Acorsi, we wouldn't have Eli for even one year, let alone 16. So coming up on this, my 100th podcast, we'll talk with the former GM on how he pulled off the most important trade in Giants history. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, folks. So like I said, uh, Ernie Acorsi, former GM of the Giants, he was the man who pulled off without question. Yeah, without question, the most important trade in Giants history, because it was a trade that brought Easy Eli to the New York football giants. And uh, I'm glad to say Ernie is with me right now. Ernie, thanks so much for being here. Russ, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, my friend, you know, you and I were both there last Friday uh, for the ceremony, which I thought was just a wonderful send off for Eli Manning. Uh, It was emotional. It was heartwarming. It it, it was all the things that you, you wanted to see. But I couldn't help, when I saw you sitting on the other side for me, I couldn't help but wondering what was going through your mind at this whole ceremony was taking place. Well, you know, he had called me Monday, so I had a five days' notice from that event uh, to think a lot about it. And and, and really, when he called me to tell me, I I wasn't really surprised. Um, And number two, I was pleased because... It really, I thought, was important and will be even more important to him uh, as years go by to play with one team, particularly this franchise. I just love the whole thing about coming in and leaving in the same organization. And, uh, I, you know, I had experienced early in my career uh, when the general manager of the Baltimore Colts traded Unitas to San Diego, and to see him in the San Diego uniform was really heartbreaking for me because I grew up with him. I was a Colt fan as a kid. So I was really pleased that he was going to go out as a giant. I thought he probably was going to do that. You know, I thought the the whole ceremony was so typical of the Giants organization. 
essentially it was it was low key, it was classy, only two speakers, John Mara and and, and um, Eli, and they were both elegant. Uh, they both said all the right things, a little emotion with both of them. Uh, John's voice cracked when he mentioned his father uh, seeing the Dallas game, which was Eli's first win, and Mr. Mara's last game that he saw in person. Uh, so it, it was just, a, it, I guess the, if I had to pick a word, it would be fulfilling to, to see, Good word, to yeah. see the, the whole event uh, finish that way. I've I, I got to tell you, I told John Mara afterwards, uh, I said, John, I sat in St. Patrick's Cathedral when you eulogized your father, which was just words can't describe it. You certainly were there. But but I said to him, I says, John, you might have actually um, outdid yourself this time. And, and he said to me, he says, you know, I don't know, we get older, we get a little more emotional. I says, well, I, it wasn't just the emotion of of of, um, of Eli saying goodbye to Eli. It was thinking back on his mom and his dad. Like you said, it was yeah. just a fulfilling, fulfilling uh, moment. And also to hear Eli speak so eloquently and, and forceful and, and with some emotion. And, and um, it, it was just wonderful and fulfilling to see. But having said all that, my friend Ernie Accorsi, we know you pulled off the trade, but how exactly did it all come about? When was it the time back in 2004 when you said you come to the conclusion that when did you go into Wellington Mara and John Mara and say, this is the guy we got to have, not Philip Rivers, not uh, Ben Roethlisberger, not that there are any slouches, and I'm sure they would have been fine giants. But when did you say to yourself, this has to be our guy? I never really did say that because, as you know, we were fourth in the draft. Uh, I never, ever take anything for granted, which, which means that uh, our second choice was Roethlisberger, and it was really razor thin between Eli and Roethlisberger. But I wasn't you know, sure he was going to last till four. I mean, Oakland had, had to pick, and they ended up picking Gallery, who was an offensive lineman, and then Larry Fitzgerald was picked by Arizona. But that didn't mean that Eli and Roethlisberger couldn't go one, two, or one, three. Okay. So, so I wasn't cocky about that. But what what I concluded well in advance of that because I saw him his junior year. I, I I just had a I don't know it was a rumor he might come out, and I thought I better go look at him. I told Jerry Reese I better see him, and I saw him late in the season on a cold, blustery day against Auburn at home. Now he was not surrounded by much talent with that team. I think one or two. Might have had a cup of coffee if his teammates might might have had a cup of coffee with uh, in the NFL. And I think there were like four or five NFL starters, eventual NFL starters on the Auburn team. So he was really overmatched. And he every time Auburn scored, he he scored, and he kept putting Mississippi ahead in the game. He basically carried the team on his back. And then finally Auburn scored late, and he took them down the field again, and trying to get a touchdown to win the game through an interception in the end zone. But I saw all the things you want to check off, all the boxes you want to check, close range in pregame. I saw his arm strength on the windy, blustery day. You know, I looked at his size. I looked at his hands. I did all the things that you want to do on the measurables. But, you know, to, to determine in your heart, is this guy, can this guy win a championship when the chips are down? Uh, I saw a lot that day, the way he played. But then the next year, I saw him again, and he took a better team to the Cotton Bowl and won it. So, I mean, there were two years I've had a chance to look at it. When I went in and talked to John 
and then Mr. Mara, I, my point was that this is the guy I would rate one, Roethlisberger two, Rivers three. And, that, and you know, that was just my opinion. I mean, a lot of people think Rivers was the best quarterback. But um, I wasn't panicked because I thought I was fairly certain we could get Roethlisberger at four. And Russ, I never for one minute until the trade was consummated thought we were going to be able to make that trade because I had only had a couple conversations with A.J. Smith, who was the San Diego general manager. I did not know him well. Uh, I had no previous relationships with him or interaction with him. I introduced myself to him at the NFL meetings in March. I told him, look, if you're going to stick to your guns and pick him, more power to you. I was in your shoes, and I picked Elway, no matter how many people told me I shouldn't do it. But if you want to trade him, I'm interested. So we maybe spoke two or three times. You know, he wanted, this is common knowledge now, he wanted O.C. Unimanura. Right. And I was not giving, I gave up a pass rusher that I thought was about to become a great pass rusher because I knew I, you know, I felt pretty certain that we were going to be able to get Roethlisberger if we couldn't get Eli. Finally, he said he was going to call me Friday. I think that was the day or the, I don't remember the draft was on Saturday or Sunday, but he didn't call. I believe it was Saturday. Okay. He didn't call. So I, I didn't think it was going to happen. And about, I had been tipped by a member of the media he said, he's going to hold your feet to the fire. He's going to call you with about six minutes to go in your 15 minutes and, and, and ask you for OC again. And I, so I, I, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen, but I didn't move either. I sat there and was about ready to use my full allotment. And, you know, you, have the, you conduct a draft, your own work in your, in your own office. You always have a, two young men at the draft itself, which I think was in Radio City that year, and they walk up with the card to Joel Bussard, who, who kind of runs the draft director of player personnel for the league. And we had our young man there write Roethlisberger's name down <clears throat> because somebody will jump in ahead of you. If, you know, they're ready. If, if the clock expires, somebody could jump right ahead of you. So I had him ready with Roethlisberger's name on the card because I had not heard from A.J. And then A.J. called. And uh, it were about six minutes to go. He said, if you want Eli, you're, you're going to have to give me O.C. I said, I told you I wasn't going to give you O.C., and I'm not going to give it to him. And, and he said, would you give me next year's number one? We had already decided we would do that. That's kind of the going rate. Uh, Buffalo did the same for J.P. Losman uh, in the same draft. And I said, yes, but now we had the clock was ticking. And we had to, you know, there was not enough of time. You have to submit your trade by computer it wasn't enough of time so we both had a call joel bussert and joel bussert had two phones one in one ear one in the other with aj and i and our terms of the trade had to be identical for him to accept it and he i heard him say we have a trade which was a great relief and here's why you can't draft a player for another team now i asked him i said well who do you want he said rivers now, you know, I liked Rivers, but I liked Roethlisberger more. So I had to draft Rivers. Now, if he backs out of the trade, which he had every right to do until it, until it was official, I have Rivers. So from the time that I – so then I had to draft Rivers. Once I drafted Rivers, he was ours. And we had to consummate the trade, or I had Rivers. And the league will not back you up on that they they because you cannot draft a player for another team. So – I could trade him, but I couldn't draft him for San Diego. So I drafted Rivers. When I heard the words from Joel Busser, we have a trade. It was a tremendous relief.
Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, you know, listen, and the, the rest is history, but you, you say uh, measurables, and one thing I've known from our friendship over the years, Ernie, you can't register what a guy's got inside. You, you know, what they say, you can't measure the heart of a lion. Uh, uh, but that, that becomes kind of a gamble, doesn't it? Because as much as you liked Eli, and you said, well, can he take me downfield when it's all on the line and win me a championship? You still, when you're drafting a guy, you like to think he's the guy, but you don't know 100%, do you? No, you don't know. And uh, and I remember a line, you end up kind of logging all these things you've heard all your life if you're a sports fan. But I remember Al McGuire, the great coach from Marquette, who was the color analyst and really good, with doing a game with Enberg, and he made some statement, and it turned out to be true about a player coming through. If they get the ball in so and so's hands, he's going to win the game. And he did. And Enberg said, "You know, how do you know that?" He said, "I don't know that. I feel it." And I think when you come down to that final factor, after you've seen all the measurables, accuracy, all the things that you that are mandatory to be a great quarterback, when you come down to that, you have to have a feeling that he can do it. And I learned that from day one because my first training camp, I had been at Penn State for two years, and I had not seen any pro football. We worked on Sundays. And it wasn't like now where you have 8,000 games, games sure. night, Monday night games and everything. And the last thing I saw Johnny Unitas was 67 when he had a great year. It was 68. He tore all the fibers in his elbow, all the tendons and fibers, which were not correctable. You could not have through certain. They were so fine, you couldn't operate on them. So he lost his fastball. I mean, he was still Johnny Unitas, but he was 39 years old, and he, uh, you know, he, he couldn't move like he used to, and he certainly didn't have the velocity on the ball that he used to. And I'm watching him in training camp, but I had just gotten there. I didn't know anything. I'm standing with Milt Davis, who was a starting corner for the Colts in the Giants' sudden death game. And I said, what happened to him? And he was explaining to me what happened. And uh, I said, well, can we win with him? He said, Remember one thing, and don't forget this. You evaluate a quarterback on his ability to take a team down the field and into the end zone with the championship on the line. Wow. He can still do it, and he did. We won the Super Bowl. Now, uh, and he still played well in 71. We got to the championship game. But that all, I always remembered that. And, I, and it's funny, I repeated those words to my son, who had coached, who was a coach at Virginia and Maryland, who was sitting with me in that Super Bowl 42, and when Eli got the ball in the 17-yard line, I said to him, well, if he is what we thought he was, he does it now. I mean, it's nice on October 15th, but he's got to do it now, and he did. And he did it again Yeah, uh, five years later, four years later. But, yeah, that that's something you're right. you got to sort of feel it, and you don't know. You know, you don't know for sure. There's no certainty. But there were a lot of – I'm not going to name them because I wouldn't disparage anybody, but there were a lot of outstanding quarterbacks, and you know who they are, who, who – you know, some of them in the Hall of Fame never won a title. Uh, and did they do it when it counted, when you have to do it? No. Or they would have won a title. Yeah. You, you know, the other thing, I there's no way of knowing. Listen, what I'm going to say now, also some good luck, good fortune has to come into it. But you don't know a guy's toughness. When I say his toughness, his ability to to play Beaten and battered and bruised. I, I mean, to think like what, whatever the hell it was, two hundred and twenty some odd straight starts. I'm, I'm not a big stat guy. I I measure people as you do, 
but his his uh, Opie Taylor Mayberry RFD uh, exterior doesn't tell just how tough Eli Manning is. Well, there are two things. There's mental toughness, and that means that you can rise to the occasion when it's third down. I mean, yeah, you anybody can say the the Tyree catch was luck. Well, his escapability there, where where he's not Mahomes. I mean, he doesn't. You think he can't run well, uh, but did he persevered and got out of that mess? That was a great play. You know, that so- wasn't luck. And, you- and and the fact is that uh, you know we to me the two greatest games he played were the two championship games. I yep. I know he played well in the Super Bowl, but what he did in in, in that weather against Favre, who had gloves on, and mm-hmm. Ronnie Barnes told him. Look, I'm not telling you this from a coaching standpoint. I'm telling you this from a health standpoint. You have to wear gloves. You're going to get frostbite and never get feelings in your fingers again. Dan Reeves, when he coached for us, there were a couple fingers he had no feeling because of the ice ball. Right. And it's permanent. And he begged that he would not put gloves on. And he played with a dislocated shoulder for a couple of weeks at another time. And then the beating he took in the San Francisco championship game. I mean, Vic Fangio, who was the defensive coordinator, is a friend of mine. He's from a part of Pennsylvania that I'm from. And I saw him at the Senior Bowl. I said, were you trying to kill our quarterback? I mean, how many times? It was like a boxing match where a guy gets knocked down six times, comes back and wins the fight. It, it just, you know, how he played those two games. You talk about toughness now, physical and, and mental. To me, those were the two signature games of his career. Yeah, no, I, I just thought... Uh... I've always said this, and take because I see David Tyree all the time, you know, at the Giants complex, but uh, and take nothing away because the, ca- the catch was unbelievable. However, that catch does not happen when you, you know, everybody listen. That's the glamorous end of the play. Right. The un right. the unglamorous end of the play is Eli getting out of there and then not just escaping, but then have the wherewithal to, to heave the ball. That was the miracle. Well, you know, I didn't realize till I've seen all these highlights now in the last week. I, the thing I had forgotten, I mean, he doesn't make that play we don't win the game. And, and, but I didn't realize we were on our own 44. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, it wasn't like we were on their 30 where we were. I mean, he gets sacked there. I think the game's over. I do, too. And, and so, I mean, that he got out of that. Every time I see that, I, I, you know, he was He's not big and strong like Roethlisberger. So it wasn't like he was going to break tackles. They had a hold of his shirt. They had. I mean, and he's playing against a pretty good team, and and you know he got out. He got out of that mess. And you know it's interesting. You talk about toughness. There was a Ordell Bracy who was a defensive end for the the Colts for years. Played on all those championship games. He said there was a quarterback. I'm not going to say who. He said it was very good. He said he couldn't beat us. And I think they, I think they beat him twelve straight times because they were playing him twice a year. And he said, finally, you know, it's first and goal on the three. And he said, I'm playing defensive end. And I'm thinking, well, it, he's going to beat us this time. It's for, you know, it's late in the game. He said, the next thing I know, he threw a, a pass into my stomach. I mean, there, you know. So my point is, there are certain people that can, it, that's not luck. There are certain people that can do it. When everything's on the line, and there are certain people that don't do it when there's something on the line. And to me, that's the difference. And when you pick a quarterback, you can't pick one and say, well, you know, he'll get us by. Now, you can pick one up and, and have that attitude. When I came here, I felt we had to get better quarterbacking, so that's why I got carry. Because I mean, it was an improvement. He got us to the Super Bowl. 
But to take you to the championship level, you better have someone that you think can take you to the championship level. And that's the only reason that you pick a quarterback that high. Yeah, no, he he was, um, again, like I say, his toughness. And you also mentioned that San Francisco game. I've never, I've, I don't ever remember anybody. I've seen people take beatings. You, you know, I, I remember Bradshaw beatings. I remember Y.E. Tittle beatings. Right. But to take a beating, you know, that old Timex commercial, take a licking but keep on ticking. Right. To be standing there at the end from taking that beating and, and have the wherewithal and the cojones to go ahead and win his second Super Bowl and second Super Bowl MVP, that was, uh, that was you know, to me, quite in- incredible. Well, I thought Sean O'Hara, first of all, I thought the greatest element of that press conference was 25 or 30 teammates being there for him. I mean, that doesn't happen. I mean, and, and the, the, almost the whole offensive line was there naturally. But Sean O'Hara had a great statement. He said, you know, when he came in there, he said, you know, I was just a free agent, but I was a veteran. I had played seven years in the league, and they draft this this kid. He comes in, and I think, who, the, who is this kid? I mean, you know, coming in here with all this hoopla, and he, he's, you know, kind of a thin, blah, blah, blah. He said, we found out in a hurry. It didn't take long. He said, we found out what he was made of in a hurry. And, and I, that's why a lot of it, if you remember, when he, was a, when he was a rookie and things weren't going well early, um, some of the things that, that were, you know, how, the people were highly critical of was his demeanor, he phlegmatic, uh, he didn't have a lot of fire, um, you know, he, this and that. And, and they, they, but they didn't understand. They didn't know the kid. And, and I mean, I didn't know him that well either. I only knew him from scouting, but the players knew. You don't fool players. No, no. That, that's, that's probably the truest thing anybody can say. Everybody else can think they know. The, you know, the fans, certainly the media, because the media, especially the media today, they, they think they got every answer. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say being part of it. It's not like the media you grew up in or I grew up in. They they just they throw you know what against the wall hoping it sticks because the world today and listen you came in to our industry as a sports writer um you know the premise the most important thing used to be to get it right not to get it first. Yeah, I and, mean and I, that's what's going exactly. on today. Exactly. I mean I broke one big story in my life it was the trade of Will Chamberlain and, and uh you know I didn't have it nailed completely but I felt pretty good, and they went front page with it. And the sports editor said, the managing editor wants to see you. So I went in, and he said, how, do you, how strongly do you feel about this? I said, I feel strongly. He said, okay, we're going to copyright it. That was a big deal then, because yep. that meant they had to give you attribution. He said, and we're going page one, and you better be right, or you're going to be covering Little League Baseball, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, and I knew my, yeah, my reputation was on the line, you know, but I had to go with it. But the point is, they you had to have some – substantial information before they would print it. It's not like, you know, there was no social media. There was no internet. There, there were newspapers. And newspapers' credibility was on, were on the line. And and uh, so, yeah, it was different in, in my day, no question. Let, let me go back to something, because you mentioned they wanted, when I say they, the, the, the Chargers wanted you uh, to give up OCU Manura, you know, uh, as part of the deal for... Um, for Eli, and you were not going to give up uh, a guy who you viewed as he can be a tremendous, you know, edge rusher, pass rusher. Uh, having said that, you know, uh, your legacy is, uh, 
you're the man who who gave us Eli Manning. I'm not blowing smoke at you. I'm telling you, I'm saying that because that's the truth. So now let's fast forward to where we are today with the Giants. Um, I, I think the legacy of Dave Gettleman will be that he's the guy who drafted, you know, Daniel Jones, and I believe he got himself a winner in Daniel Jones. I, I, I think you would agree with me on that. Yeah, I, I really like Daniel Jones. I do think he's got his quarterback. Oh, okay. But having said that, uh, would you agree that what Dave needs to do now, along with the rest of his staff, is make sure, because uh, he's got his quarterback, he's got his running back, he's got some receivers there, but he needs some edge rushers. You know, you learn as you go along, Russ. When I was in Cleveland, we had a scoring machine with Kozar and Biner and Mack and Webster Slaughter and Reggie Langhorn. And Lindy Infante was our offensive coordinator. who was the best I've ever been around. People could not stop us from scoring. We got beat three times in championship games. The, the, the last one was different. Our team was at the end and crippled. But two times on drives at the end of the game, one a 98-yard drive in the final five minutes. And I was, you know, I had been a GM just for a cup of coffee with the Colts, but I was in my first GM's job maybe in the third, second, or third year trying to figure out why. Well, I could tell you why, okay? We had the two best corners in the league, Hanford Dixon and Frank Minifield, didn't play a lot of nickel and dime, so they were matched up, and there wasn't a lot of four or five wide receiver either. So they were matched up on Ricky Natiel, and I forget who the other receiver was. And we had good linebackers. We had no pass rush. We had one pass rusher. We had a 34 defense, Chip Banks. And I've, I kidded Marty about this, who I love, Marty Schottenheimer. They took him off the field on third down. I could never figure that out, but they did. I'm, and, you know, there were two third and double digits. So it was a third and 18, I think a third and 15, that Elway converted. But my point, when I was all said and done, I said, that will never happen to me again. And when we went to the Super Bowl in 2000, here we had – you know, the great pass rusher, great Hall of Famer, Michael Strand. But we really didn't have a lot of others. And I, and I, I, and I said at the time, and what's what Dave is saying now, I've got to get edge rushers. Okay, at that point, we, we, we didn't have Tuck. We didn't have Kiwanuka. And I had gotten, you know, Manure. And, and you know, if, if all you have is Strand, they can double and triple team him. But not if you have a pass rusher on the other side, they can't. So, or if they do, then the other guy's going to have a field day. I was not giving him up. Now, the point is, you know, you got to have the quarterback. There's no question. But, and then you have to protect him. But next, and just an inch behind him, is pass rushers. If you don't have pass rushers, you're not winning championships. And I was not giving them up. And, you know, not only did we pick Unamunura, we picked Tuck, and then we picked Kiwanuka. I got criticized for that. You know, I had, I had Strand, and I had Unamunura, and I had Tuck. Why do you need Kiwanuka? You never have enough. Yeah. Now, I, and I think I I think Dave he knows that. he knows that he I, knows I, that yeah, I mean, sure he hasn't does. had a chance you know he he if he picked if he picked one of those premier pass rushers he wouldn't have Daniel Jones yeah. or Barkley and, and I mean you can't get them all in one draft right so. uh, well that that brings me to my next question uh, you, you know I know you and listen you were the one uh, listen the Giants c- consulted with you to get the right GM, and I never forget what, what you said, not just to me, but you said it publicly. This was not a job for a first-time GM. This was going to be a job because the Giants needed a lot 
to get done. And they needed a guy who can also take the heat, especially in this market. And there's no question about it that Dave Gettleman ha- has taken the heat. But uh, as you're sitting back and watching these uh, l- last two years and, and the heat that both he and Pat Schumer were, were taking, and obviously Pat Schumer paid the price. He, he's no longer here, and Joe Judge is. So you move forward. But take getting the beating on the drafting, number one, I thought was a little outlandish because I'm looking at some of the guys that are there now. Uh, I'm looking at certain Daniel Jones, and I'm looking at uh, um, Dexter Lawrence, who I believe is going to be a good one in the middle. Uh, you know, and, and DeAndre Baker and, and guys, and, and, and you look at Darius Slayton, who's for a fifth-round pick is a, is a hell of a um, uh, wide receiver. But building that from within, what, what I'm saying is, though, let's look at the San Francisco 49ers today. The San Francisco 49ers, I, I think everybody would agree that Kyle Shanahan – uh, as coach and and John Lynch as GM, they're the hot combo. Fair enough to say, yeah, they're sure. the hot young combo sure. in the NFL. Well, their first year together, they were six and ten. Their second year together, they were four and twelve. That's ten and twenty-two. Dave Gettleman was, uh, let's see, five and eleven, and four and twelve. That was. <laughs> you know, nine and twenty-three, and now here we are in their third year, and they're on the verge uh, of possibly winning a Super Bowl. The San Francisco Forty ers patience, you know, is one thing, but in New York, is it just too demanding? Where it's not allowed to be as patient as in other markets? Well, you, you can't look. Bill Walsh was two and fourteen his first year. I think the second year he won four games. Uh, I don't remember if it was 14 or 16 games in 69, but Chuck Knoll was either 1-12 in 12 or 1-13. in 13. I mean, you, you look, first of all, when you, Dave had to start over again here. He had to move people out and then move people in. It was, it, so, but look, he, he's, I think he's done very well. Like you mentioned the receiver, he got Slayton. He, he basically got, if he hit the quarterback, which I believe he did, he basically got, Barkley as a bonus because if he would if he would have used that pick instead on instead of a Barkley on a quarterback, then I don't he wouldn't have gotten Barkley this year. Right. There was no Barkley this year, so he still got his quarterback, who I think has got a chance to be as good as any of those young kids, um, and he's got Barkley and he's got a receiver. Now he's got to you know fortify. I'm not saying rebuild because there's some good players there. He's got to fortify the offensive line. He's got to get some edge pass rushers. He knows that. I mean, Lawrence is an inside guy, and sure, they, they, they can get to the passer and they can do a lot of damage, but the great premier disruptors are coming in from the outside. And he knows that, but if he would have used the, those picks high to get pass rushers, he wouldn't have Barkley or Jones. So now, you know, look, they're hard. The pass rushers are tough to find. Now, but we did get Unamanure in the second and Tuck in the third, okay? You're not getting a premier, unless you're awful lucky, you are not getting a franchise quarterback in the third round. Now, you could say, well, Montana, yeah, unless you're lucky, okay? Yeah, right. I mean, you're either lucky or you see something in a guy everybody else missed, you know, in, in Brady and Montana, but that, there are many. I mean, there's a very, I don't like the odds on that. Right. So the fact is that, that you know, there were, I mean, everybody missed on Brady. Walsh is so smart. I asked him about Montana, who did nothing but win games. It, it, uh, and I, you know, I was in those drafts. I was in, in Baltimore. 
people said weak arm, weak body. And I asked him, I said, you know, why did you pick him? And he didn't pick him high, but why did you pick him? He said he had the feet of a ballet dancer, and a quarterback throws with his feet. I mean, I, when I say you learn something from everybody along the way, sure. I never heard that before. So he got the quarterback. He's got a premier running back. He's got a good receiver. He needs more. Um, you know, they, they might have got lucky with that tight end, but he needs more, and he needs – he needs as pass rushers, and he knows that. Yeah. Isn't it true that, that, that you know, I, I don't think it's just talk, but Bill Walsh was planning on drafting one Phil Sims in the third round, but when George Young took him in the first round, he had no choice to end up with Joe Montana. Yeah, I don't know that. You know, okay. I don't know that. But I, but I know that, uh, you know, it's interesting how he found players. He was interested in Steve Fuller who was a prospect, I think was picked in the first round eventually, at Clemson, they needed a receiver, and Dwight Clark was there. I think he only caught 12 passes or something like that his senior year. They didn't throw the ball much uh, in those days. And he saw Clark. He said, that's the big receiver I want on on uh, crossing patterns. And, and that's how he picked Dwight Clark. And I don't know where he picked him, but well down the line. Yeah. But I think Bill Walsh you know, was one of the greatest evaluators, not only a great coach, but great, great evaluator. But I think Dave is, is building this team. And I think he'll be fine. I have complete confidence in him. Now, he wasn't involved in our draft. I mean, I asked him to go look at some players once in a while. He was in pro personnel. But he didn't miss on anybody. And if you look at our free agency signings, Antonio Pierce, Plexico Burris, Sean O'Hara, hmm. uh, you know, Reggie McKenzie. I mean, we, we did okay uh, in, in, in free agency. And that, hmm. that was his area of expertise. So, I have complete trust in his ability to evaluate talent. Yeah, he just scooped, quite frankly, he was able to, you know, the the 49ers were looking to uh, uh, kind of skate, uh, I don't know, through the practice squad or, or anything, uh, tight end Caden Smith. Right. And, you know, they Giants always liked him, and he scooped him up. And, you know, that's, like you say, that's part of it. Yeah, he. I mean, I forget if it was Connolly, the linebacker. It was down between those two players, and he decided on – on Connolly. Connolly. Yeah. But this minute he saw him, they tried to sneak him through, he nailed him. And but he knows a player if yeah. he sees one. So I, I don't I have confidence in Dave. All right. Th- having said that about the uh, Giants, let's let's go to where if I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this. Let's go to where the Giants wanna be in a Super Bowl. Everybody's got a you know an opinion. Uh your thoughts on the upcoming Super Bowl fifty four between the Chiefs and the Niners. I mean, you never know what, what can happen because, look, we've seen games where a couple breaks early and the team never recovers. But I, I think it it shapes up as a as a great game. I mean, Mahomes. As I look at Mahomes, um, I don't know how you stop him in that offense. I mean, they just move up and down the field, and you certainly, you know, I don't defensively. I don't know if it is possible. I I do know because rushing the passer with him. It can be double jeopardy, you know. I, I was reading the other day. I forget who it was that asked him. Well, how do you stop this guy? He said, "Well, the one thing you better do is you better not gamble, because if you go after him, he's going to make you miss, and now all of a sudden it's a twenty-yard game. And not only can he run out of there, he can stop. He has great arm, and he's very accurate, and he reads defenses. He knows coverages. He can throw for the pocket if he has to. But if he breaks contain and stops and throws, it may be a touchdown. So." You're going to have to play very good defense. How do you how do you control the game at all? What they did in the last game, you have to run the ball and keep him off the field. 
there's a great line in Jerry Eisenberg's book, No Medals for Trying. Oh, sure, but with yeah. Bill Parcells, sure. Well, Parcells walked into the defensive, I guess, 10 days before the Super Bowl against Buffalo, walked into the defensive room, and they were fretting over Kelly. And uh, he said, what's the problem in here? And I, somebody said, well, we're trying to figure out how we're going to contain and stop Kelly. He said, Kelly's not playing in this game. And they looked at him like, What? He's not playing this game. We're not, you know, we're not giving him the ball. And if you, and if you remember, yep. you know they controlled it. It, it. To me, the key to Super Bowl Forty Two was we kept the ball for eight and a half minutes on the first drive. Only got three points, but I was watching Brady. He was pacing back and forth. He couldn't wait to get on the field. Now he gets on the field. There's six and a half minutes to go in the first quarter. You know what's going through his mind. Now, how am I going? How many times am I going to get the ball today? Yep. And so you keep them off the field. You make them impatient. And you have to keep running. Now, will they be able to run the ball against Kansas City? Uh, you know, they, I don't think they're going to win this game if they throw eight passes. They're going to have to throw more than eight right. to keep them honest. And I don't know about the, you know, the, is it Freeman that hurt? I don't know if he's going to be able to play. If, if he's not, they're going to have to trust the third guy who has been fumbling. But the way that kid ran, you know, 200 yards in, in the last game, the championship game, it, it, it warms my heart because I love the running game as much as I emphasize quarterbacks in my life. Still got to run the ball. You got to run the ball. Yep. You got to run the ball, and they, you know, they can run it now. And they play defense. <laughs> they have a great pass rush, but again, you're not rushing a pocket passer here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got the ability to throw in the pocket, but you're not going to, you know, you're not. He's not sitting back there as a statue. I mean, he's going to get out of trouble, so you can't go blowing by him because if you do, now he's running against. Two guys that are past him, so that's only nine people left on defense, and yeah. uh, he, he's very dangerous. He's a he's an electrifying quarterback. Yeah, uh, listen, Ernie, uh, you know it's always great talking football with you, but I know you for being a big big time sports fan. Uh, you know, like you said, as, as a sports writer, you broke the Will Chamberlain trade. I, I know what kind of baseball fan you are. Uh, the the everybody talks about the basketball community, but the sports community suffered, you know, heartbreak this week with the tragic uh, death helicopter crash that took uh, the life of uh, Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and also all the other people on the plane. Uh, Your thoughts on, listen, it's a tragedy for everybody, all the families, but, you know, Kobe becomes part of us because it's part of what we've seen, watched for 20 years. Your thoughts when you heard this terrible news? broke my heart like so, so many others. Uh, you know, I uh, I don't know him and never met him and it didn't cover him, but I have a I have a bond with the NBA that I covered the NBA. I didn't cover the other major sports when I was a newspaper man at the Philadelphia Inquirer. That's number 1. Number 2, he went to Lower Marion High School. But I was the SID at St. Joe's. I was I could throw a stone to Lower Marion. So that was wow. out of my local high school. Uh, I know exactly where it is. It's right near Marion Golf Club. Uh third, uh, he grew up in Italy, and I was reading that story yesterday that he was fluent in Italian. Uh, that you know he has said basically, I grew up Italian. Um, so there are three links to me for me for this guy. He he played. He won the state championship in my hometown, Hershey, PA. It, he's it just breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just absolutely breaks your heart. It, 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 you know, the more I read about it, the more ups, upset it is, the more heartbreaking it is with the weather and all. Um, I, I just feel terrible, like everybody does. It to, to see how he touched so many people, um, he was such a great player. But he was a, you know, he was a charismatic, uh, 
person who uh, that everybody in the league seemed to like. And, and, and today, with all the rivalries and you know some of the, the stuff that people do not get along in sports, but you never saw that with him. You, you always, you know, and I, I was looking, and I finally did see the guy who brought him there was was Jerry West, and he he took a big chance because he was drafted by Carolina. He may have been the first. I don't, maybe Moses Malone was before him. But there weren't many, if there were any. No, there were a few, but no. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what, Moses Malone was Daryl Dawkins as well. I Maybe Daryl yeah. Dawkins, yeah. Uh, and and so it's, it was still a gamble. He's seventeen years old when when Jerry West saw him and believed in him was and and said from the start this guy's going to be a superstar. And I was waiting to see because everybody was reacting and I didn't see a word about Jerry West, which didn't surprise me because he, it, Jerry West is so humble. And, and so understated, but finally he did. He said, I feel like I lost a son. Yeah. Um, just a tragic. I mean, you know, like I said, I didn't know him, and I've been I've been down ever since I heard about it. It's just, uh, it's terrible. Yeah, no, it, it, it's an awful... Yeah, it affects us all because, as you say, he, it, 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 the passing of, of Kobe is no worse than the passing of any of those other people in a helicopter. But but just we know Kobe, so that, that you know we, right. we know Kobe on a first name basis, and, and the children. Oh I well, mean, that's God. That's just when I heard that part, and I didn't hear that at the when the story broke. And interesting on Altabelli, I think I'm not positive, yeah. but I think that's Joe Altabelli's son. Joe Altabelli managed the Orioles for the World Championship when I was with the Colts in 1983. I, I was thinking the same thing. I just wasn't sure, and, and it, it just the whole thing is just an awful. But listen. As we always say about sports, sports is a microcosm of of life. It's, right. it's, it's part of it, and, and we have the good times, and we have the bad times, and we have the joy, and we have the hardship. And fortunately, though, we have Ernie Accorsi to always talk to. Ernie, can't thank you enough. You, are, you will always be the man who gave us Eli Manning, and for that, I, I'm sure I can speak on behalf of all Giant fans everywhere. A great big thank you for that. But most of all, thank you for being my friend, and thank you for being on my podcast here today, which happens to be the century mark for me, 100. So thank you. Well, well thank congratulations on that, Russ, and thank you, and thank you for having me. All right, listen, my friend, again, that is the great Ernie Accorsi. want to thank him again, and it's a wrap on this show, but I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on today's podcast with Ernie. You can tell me on Twitter at Russ Salzberg. You can always contact me on Facebook. You can also check out my website at russsalzberg.com. My thanks to Crash, the big fella, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano, who across the way from me takes such good care. My thanks to 77 WABC program director Dave Labrosi, his outstanding assistant, Matt Dahl, and last but certainly not least, all of you people out there, a great big thank you, because without you people, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Have a great week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.